We are so glad you've joined us today for our Thursday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we are continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Verse 22, And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of you young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. That's mercy. Somebody is within your clutches. And you can exact judgment or not. And if you choose not to, that's mercy. That's mercy. If you choose to forgive, you forgive. This is the exact principle that Jesus spoke about. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you in Matthew 7, 2. Luke 6, 37 says it this way. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. I don't know about you, but I want grace. I want mercy. I want forgiveness. And you know, in order for me to have that in my life with other people, I have to be gracious and merciful and forgiving to others. And if I don't, that's the measure and standard that God's going to use with me with other people. I don't know about you, I, I, I never pray for justice because I don't want justice in my life. I pray for mercy and grace. I pray that truth be known, yes, but that mercy and grace will accompany it. David wants the, like the industrial size of God's mercy and forgiveness uh, for himself. And so because of that, he gives the industrial size of mercy and grace and forgiveness to Saul. Because David is going to need that mercy and grace and forgiveness over that whole you know, Bathsheba thing. And he's going to need that mercy and grace and forgiveness of just chapter 27 that we're going to hit on here in a moment. He does some pretty wicked things, pretty bad things. And so he gives it out, and we're going to see in his life he's also going to receive much of this because this is how he's given it out. And then in verse 24, And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Well, he doesn't, but he'll walk with him through it. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son, David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. So Saul invites David to return, but David doesn't take him up on his invitation because he did that the last time as well, and boom, he came after him again. So he doesn't trust Saul at all, and that makes sense. Um, after this, this is the, their last meeting together they ever have. They're never going to see each other again after that. So with that, I want to go to chapter 27. And David said in his heart, we have a problem right there. David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. What's speaking here? Is this wisdom speaking or is this fear speaking? Is this somebody who has their eyes on the Lord speaking, or is this somebody who has their eyes on themselves speaking? 
Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me and seek me and and to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hands. I shall perish, he says. But that's the fault of David for believing that, because this comes from not trusting God's promise of being anointed king over Israel, that David is going to have a throne someday. Either he believes God or he doesn't, and at one time he did. And for whatever reason, his eyes are on the circumstance, and, and he begins to, well, believe in his own wisdom. And he's scared, and he starts to trust in his flesh instead. And so he forsakes a place where God had placed him, where he gave him assurance and experience of his protection there. He saw time and time again, even with he, when he was with Samuel and Ramah, how Saul came after him, and then they all start prophesying there. Stopped dead in their tracks. Three, sets of, three groups of soldiers, and then Saul himself coming to try and get him there at Ramah. And each time, God, through his Holy Spirit, stopped him supernaturally. And he's still running. He has this encounter in the cave there. Who brought that to happen, God? He was given word that Saul is coming, and, and he comes and checks it out, and he's able to walk into his camp. Who allowed that to happen? God supernaturally allowed that to happen. So what does he have to fear? But he does, because we all sometimes get overcome by the gravity of the situation, because of the circumstances that are before us, and when we start at that point making decisions based on fear, man, it's a domino effect of how quickly you can fall away from God, how quickly you can stop hearing from the voice of God. It's a quick domino effect, and we're going to see it here with David. It says, Then David arose and went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And so David, David tells himself to do what he feared in 1 Samuel 26, 19. For they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. And guess what? He is going now out of the land of Israel, out of the inheritance of Israel, where they worship other gods. He's the one that does it, though. He's the one that does it. This temptation, these words in David's heart, have been working their way into him for quite a while. And so he considers something he would never have considered before, leaving the land of God's people, the land of promise, to go and live among the Philistines, and so he does. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, so there's more than 600. They have their families with them now. David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, and Nabal's widow. And so each man with his household, so that's quite a bit. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more, which means he was still seeking him. So even after that last encounter, okay, you can come back and everything else, he's still seeking David. So he's still lying, and he's still playing the fool. Now, I want you to take special note here, because I believe that we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, the Bible says. And I do believe that this is one of Satan's uh, modus of apparenda. I think that this is how he operates, is that he will scare you into making the easiest decision to take care of your flesh. 
He will scare you so you'll make the easiest decision in regards to your flesh. And so he will do whatever it takes so you will see if I do this, then the pressure will be off. The pressure of my flesh will be satisfied. And I'll get a rest. I finally have peace that I haven't had before. David here gives into the, well, Satan's method here because he's scared. He goes to Gath. What happens? Verse 4, Saul sought him no more. The greatest pressure on David being caught by Saul is now gone. It's gone. The battle is called off. The pressure of Saul chasing David is now over. The enemy, Saul, withdraws from chasing David. And what seems like for peace for the moment is really only a stupor that is going to eat away at David's soul. On the outside, oh, finally can I take a breather. But the peace that you get momentarily for making a decision in the flesh is not the same peace you receive when you fight the battle, endure the battle, and overcome the battle. That's a completely different peace. You can get a momentary peace as you're tempted with alcohol, and alcohol has always been your nemesis. You can get a temporary peace in the way of having alcohol. It takes the pressure off. I'm really craving that. And then when you take it in, your body no longer craves it. And guess what? You have a momentary peace. But it comes back at a cost. And the cost is huge. The cost is huge. When you move into the enemy-occupied territory, when you come over to Satan's side, guess what? Satan will get off your back. The pressure, the temptations he's throwing you, you've taken the temptation now, now he doesn't need to throw it to you anymore. And you are going to be free for a time, but there's going to be a tremendous cost to it. David is able to go over to um, the king of Gath, and uh, to Achish there in Gath, and guess what? That pressure he's feeling of being chased is gone. He has a temporary peace there. No question about it. But at what cost? It's going to be to the cost where he's about to do some very atrocious things. He's going to have to lie to the king of Gath. And he's going to be brought to a place in chapter 29 where he's about to go in battle with the Philistines against his own people. And if God doesn't intervene David would begin to kill his own people. When you give in to your flesh, when you give in to Satan at any point in your life, you're going to have immediate relief from the pressure. And you're going to go away saying, what was that minister talking about, about fighting the good fight? I don't need to do that. I don't need this brain damage. So much easier on this side. Yeah, it is. But at what cost? I have peace now. No more conflict. But here's the thing, God has not called any, any one of you to a conflict-free life. He just hasn't. He hasn't. There's a battle, and it's not against flesh and blood. 
We don't have any inkling here in chapter 27. We don't even see it until later on in chapter, I think it is, 30, that all of a sudden we see David inquire of the Lord. Till then, we, we, we don't see David inquiring of the Lord. Why? Because he's making his own decisions. He's making his own decisions. What David should have done at the time of feeling pressure, here's Saul coming after me again, is wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Does David need relief or does he need strength? He needs strength. How often we think we need relief when we really need strength. Lord, give me strength. Show me any prayer that any of the godly men and women of God's word have prayed. Lord, give me relief. Lord, I pray for relief right now. I don't see that. I see prayer for strength and boldness. I do see uh, prayers of deliverance, no question about it. But I don't see prayers of relief. I, I don't think God wants us to be relieved. I think what he wants is for us to have strength through him. Through him. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their what? Strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, I don't know how many of you are runners here, but I have a treadmill down in the basement. I run and, and do all these different things, and uh, I would love to be able to run and not be weary. I've never experienced that in my life, ever, you know. A lot of you long-distance runners will talk about how you, you know, you can break through that wall, and you're just gliding at 16 miles, 17 miles. And the rest of us, just so you know, we hate you. So, but I, I've never known what it is to run and not be weary. But I do know what it is to run in his strength, to actually be strengthened. I do understand that. They shall walk and not grow faint. That's what I want. I want his strength. I don't, want his, I don't want relief. I just want strength in the battle. Give me the strength to endure. Give me the strength to overcome. And then in verse 5, it says, And David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? He says, Look, I don't want to be in Gath with you. We have a lot of people. We don't need to be fighting over resources or anything like that. I understand this. You're the king. This is your town and everything. But is there a place in your domain here? Is there a place in the area that you control that I can, you know, go and settle in? Is what he's asking. So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. So 16 months he's with them. 16 months. Satan will give you whatever you need to continue in your rebellion against God. And for David to continue to be in rebellion against God and to be at enemies with Israel, the king says, sure, I'll give you this area right here. Because they know of the conflict that's going on between David and and Saul, you recall that David went there once before to Gath, and they reported how Saul was chasing him, and then he feigned madness there at the, at the gate. So they, they know that, 
that Saul, that, that, that there's a problem between Saul and David, and that David now has a, a lot of warriors, but Saul has more, and, and there's this conflict going on, and so David shows up now with all his 600 warriors and his, their families, and they can see it's kind of a big group. And I'm sure the king of Achish is thinking, this is awesome. He's coming to me, I'll befriend him, and now he'll be on our side. And so he grants him an area, Ziklag. And Ziklag is very, very interesting. We're told in Joshua 19.5, it's one of the southern cities of Judah under the tribe of Simeon. Later, it was captured by the Philistines, but they never occupied it. In 1 Chronicles 4.30, we're given a list of territories, an inventory, if you will, at the time of David's reign, and we see that Simeon does occupy Ziklag. And so what this tells me is that you have Israelites in this area that are controlled by the enemy living in servitude. Evidently, even though this territory had been given to them by God, it was being controlled by the enemy. And so to them, peace at any price is what they seemed to live by. And they had no stomach to fight for what was truly theirs from God. And so David goes to rule them and be over them. That, it's a great warning to me as I get older I, that I won't tire of the fight that God has brought my way, that I would not get complacent, that I, like Paul, could say, like in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I want to be able to say that. David had grown weary because, well, he started making decisions in the flesh stopped waiting on the Lord, stopped asking for his strength. And and it's so opposite to the David that we saw in chapter 17 when he's fighting Goliath. What a difference 10 chapters make in the life of someone. But it could go the other way as well. And we're going to see that with David. He is going to turn this around. And so it says in verse 8, so they go and live in Ziklag. And David and his men went up and raided the uh, Geshurites, the Gerzites and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. And whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. The Hebrew word raided comes from the verb to strip, with the idea that you're stripping the dead for loot. David would attack these villages or encampments, kill some of the men, strip their bodies for treasure or armor, rob the people of the village. And this is what he has turned into. Killing women and children. Not leaving any of them alive. Why? Because he doesn't want any of it getting back to Achish. Because... What he is doing here in verse 10, then Achish would say, where have you raided today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeremelites, or against the southern area of the Canites, or the Canites. And he lied to gain favor with Achish. He knew that the Philistine leader would be pleased to hear that David raided his own people of Israel, but he wasn't raiding there. That's one of the reasons he couldn't lead anybody alive, because if it got back to Achish, he would find out, oh, he's not raiding the southern area of Judah. He's raiding this other area over here. Which means he still has a love for his people and he wouldn't 
attack his own people. And so David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did, and thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So for 16 months he did this. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him, therefore he will be my servant forever. The word utterly abhor there means to stink. And so, as you can see here, one sin leads to another. David goes uh, into enemy territory. It forces him to lie. It forces him to murder, kill, loot, become nothing more than a bandit and a murderer. And so, after many years of running from Saul, David finally leads his immediate family and 600 followers to Gath, Threw himself on the mercy of Achish, the Philistine ruler. David had tried this before, but now it works. And so what does this bring about? It brings a a blight on David's history is what it does. And it makes him stink all right, but I think it makes him stink to God of what he's doing. This is what happens to the child of God when they yield to temptation. When we give into the flesh. We're no longer that bright and shining star for the Lord. Our sin stinks to him. Because we are going out in the flesh. And one fleshly decision leads to another poor fleshly decision. Which leads to another poor fleshly decision. And until that insanity is stopped by a repentive heart, it will continue to make one bad decision after another and it affects other people. And it's going to bring harm to other people. That's why the answer is to repent, seek the Lord, wait upon Him to deliver you. In Psalm 34, 22, the Lord redeems the soul of His servants and none of those who trust in Him shall be condemned. This is why it's so Interesting that in Hebrews chapter 4, we're told this about the Lord, our, our high priest. In Hebrews 4.15, we are told this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. We get tempted all the time. But sometimes we give in to the temptation so that pressure momentarily is gone, but it's at a great cost. If you ever think of a pressure cooker, when you release a little bit of steam, the pressure goes down, doesn't it? But it's going to build up again. With Jesus, the pressure was always there, but he never let off any steam. You ever think about that? Temptations came his way, but he never gave in to those temptations. And so the pressure was always there, but he never gave off a little steam. He was perfect. God's ways are perfect. And we're going to get tempted all the time to take the shortcut. We're going to get tempted all the time that this would be uh, more convenient for your flesh. If you do this, you're going to get tempted all the time. But the answer is, Lord, give me strength. Wait upon the Lord. And he will give you strength. He's not there to give you relief. And so as we look at David, he's in a very, very bad place right now. And he's doing things that the enemy does. And he's aligned himself with Neither death nor even life Let nothing ever separate Well, that concludes this Thursday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. 
Listen in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Music